Hello and welcome to the Bitcoin Review Podcast. The podcast where we fail at boringly reading the latest release notes and discuss project updates. We're back with the list and uh, I, have a, I have a big crew here today. Uh, we have uh, Pierre Rochard. Hi, Pierre. Hello. Thanks for having me on. We have Justin Moon. Hi, Justin. Hello. We have uh, Stefan Oliveira, which is uh, he's a newcomer to the list. Hey, thanks for inviting me, NVK. And we have the overextended podcast uh, master, who is uh, a great guest of the show, Matt Adele. Yo. <laughs> nice to have you guys. Thanks, thanks for coming. And I was just saying, uh, I, I broke the website just before this, uh, so uh, I'm fixing it. And uh, I guess everybody got the show notes, I hope. It's in this wonderful uh, uh, Google Docs today. So yeah, we, we have, a, we have a, a very, very full list today. And uh, I just wanted to get a couple uh, CoinKite House keepings here out of the way. Black Friday is coming. Uh, this is a message for uh, uh, product and service makers. If you have a product or a service that you want to advertise for Black Friday with some sale, just uh, ping the, the folks in our team. It's a Bitcoin Friday, no, BitcoinBlackFriday.org. We're also looking for uh, other topics for the, the panel version of this podcast, like we did at the wallets. And, uh, oh, and this one is just a quick note. The BitcoinBinary.org bot is not working well. So if you love creating shell scripts for GitHub Actions, uh, do hit me uh, because I do need help with that and I don't have time to deal with uh, GitHub Actions. So uh, we are looking for some help there. Anyways, so um, I figure we, we just kind of go straight into the list since, uh, since we didn't start a good batter today. <laughs> For a little context, since NVK just jumped right into showing his projects, I believe me and Stefan are at, have been at the Amsterdam conference for the last two days, and I believe Justin is at TabConf right now. That's correct. Pierre, which conference are you at? No conference, uh, just doing a Bitcoin 101 with uh, different folks. Look at that. Confidential. Productive people don't go to conferences. Here's a Twitter con every day. That's right. You know, uh, for the people who are um, uh, were not here before I started pressing uh, record, there are no uh, cyber hornets. Uh, Pierre is all the accounts on Twitter. He literally runs Twitter. It's just it's all sock puppets. Yeah, there's there's no plebs. There's no cyber hornets. Anyone who's pseudonymous, you just probably safe to assume it's my account. All the nims are Pierre. He's just sibling all of us. We never knew. It's working. It is quite amazing. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, let's start with the software releases and project updates. Uh, fully noted version 0.3.4. And I guess the other, and also we missed in, the, in between the, the shows, 0.3.5. Total balance view no longer refreshes when navigation uh, navigating back. Join market connect QR, that's nice. Add a join market placeholders uh, to the SSL certs. Uh, and enhancement uh, in older versions, multi-sig NFC import not offered micro if a micro SD card was 
really there, I think. Uh, for point three five, uh, much improved UX around exporting and uh, fixes uh, fixes a bug where LND would only show fees collected from the last one hundred HTL HTLC events. Uh, do you guys use uh, fully noted every day for everything? I'm an Android man, so unfortunately, no, have not had the chance. I just checked. I have it installed on my phone, but uh, I have not been using it. I need to. And now I'm poking around on it. It's changed a lot since when I installed it. Big upgrades. Great. Are you still alive, Matt? Fontaine is awesome. The lead maintainer, fully noted. I met him in Miami this year. Yeah, Fontaine is great. He was one of the first persons to uh, work with uh, NFC on uh, Bitcoin NFC on the apps uh, with CodeCard. Uh, okay, so Spectre Desktop version 1.13 feature, so improve dev console, menu extensions can extend to menus now, uh, adding open Bitcoin app verbiage to ledger, upload keys, better balanced display, do not hide elements by default, individual hard um, HWI progress for ledger devices. Um, yeah. That reminds me of how with Ledger, you have to actually click in. Like, I mean, I guess most people who've, if you've used a lot of the hardware wallets, it's a bit of a pain that you have to actually click into the quote unquote Bitcoin app when you're using those Ledger devices. It can be a bit confusing for new users or if you're not familiar. But I know Salvatore and Gala is trying to, you know, improve the Bitcoin situation there over at Ledger and make things like better multi-sig support and things like this. There was some interesting commentary from him um, today about registering the multi-sig quorum and things like that. Oh, I saw his BIP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he definitely, he wants to improve uh, um, the the descriptors in, uh, uh, imports and all that stuff. I mean, I, I think it's impossible for them to really, like you buy a ledger because you want to hold one of the thousand shit coins they support. Oh, 100%. Like if you're not, yeah. if you don't just go Bitcoin only, you just can't. You'll never solve that UX hurdle of, of needing to, you know, click into the Bitcoin section. Well, yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can still use Ledger, I guess, like with with like other clients, right? But uh, but if you're using Ledger Live, I mean, it's essentially it, it's like a, a one button shitcoin casino. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's like it just downloads, like click here, buy shitcoin, you know, like. Um, but you know, like that—that's what the market wants, right? Uh, and, and you know, it's okay. Okay, Nunchuck one point nine point one four. They added uh, cold card NFC support, which they have subsequently sort of improved a bit. Uh, replaced by fee ported to mobile. It was only on the desktop wallet. BIP twenty one and Crux QR support. New quick send shortcut. Signing using AirGap keys in Collab wallets is now possible. Copy to clipboard for addresses and TXIDs and uh, preferences of perf improvements. Yeah, so just a quick comment here. Um, I haven't used the latest, latest version of Nunchuck, but I have played around with TapSigner and Nunchuck and I found it just a really great experience. I was even showing it to some of my friends in Bitcoin Dubai, just you know, some of the, the Maxi crew in Dubai, and I was showing them. They were, they were pretty happy with the whole UX of NFC and TapSigner and Nunchuck. And you know, I think it's really cool what they're doing. So um, you know, it is a slightly 
different approach to what we've seen with the typical Electrum, Sparrow, Spectre style of multi-sig. So let's see um, if that becomes more prominent. What I think is really, really cool, there used to be this wallet, I think I mentioned this before here, but it was one of my favorite phone wallets, was called Copay, until until a BitPay bought them and destroyed them. Uh, It was still a JavaScript wallet, still had like a lot of, Sort of issues around like too Did many inputs. Copay? Yep, they uh, acquired them. Uh, I actually thought it was a BitPay project. Yeah. No, no, no. I thought they brewed it in the beginning. No, it was uh, it was from before them. I actually saw someone. We were uh, I was hanging out with a bunch of Bitcoiners like four months ago, and uh, we stumbled on a on a no corner that wanted to download her first wallet, and he told her to download Copay. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't even think he exists anymore with that name. It still exists. Oh, really? I think it was Eric Martindale who started that wallet and then got he got hired, acquired by... It was uh, way ahead of its time. Yes. Yeah, what was it, 2014? And they had yes. like easy multi-sig in a, in a yes. smartphone? Like was, that's crazy was, early. It was fantastic. Uh, no hardware wallet support at the time, of course, but but it was very good. Anyway, so what I what I like is uh, Hugo, which is the main maintainer and the founder of uh, uh, Nunchuck, is taking the approach of collaborative multi-sig between like actual humans and parties, not like as a company kind of thing. It's, so it's not like Kazan and Chain kind of thing. It's more like, hey, I want to have a wallet between, say, Justin, me, and, and Matt, right? So one is there is encrypted comms. Uh, either using email or uh, my my request to him, which like by the way, every single request I had for him for the last like year and a half now probably, he incorporated within like two weeks. Like it's amazing. I go on the DM, so you know, like I kind of need these features. Like boom, appears. Those guys are absolute beasts. So so anyway, so you can have a non-email setup so you're not doxing yourself, mind you. You know, it's still like you know they do use Tor. Uh, uh, by default, I think. Uh, but, but you know, you're still trusting servers. You're still trusting, like, th- there's a level of trust with this. Uh, just want to put that caveat out there. But anyway, so you can actually start, you can create a new multi-sig wallet with the parties being remote. So you can, you can, you can do the quorum to consolidate the XPubs and everything through the app, which is phenomenal. Uh, and then you have encrypted comms using the keys, uh, which was also my request. <laughs> so that you don't need to have a password and username or any of that crap. And, and, and you can sort of like talk to each other, consor- co- coordinate proposed transactions. You know, a huge part of money is coordination, right? So having that is, is super cool. Yeah, I mean, it can't be overstated how important the built-in comm layer is. Because like I've done multi-sigs with very experienced Bitcoiners and just pasting <laughs> PSVTs and shit in Matrix or some encrypted you chat. You get doxxed. It's also the worst UX ever. Yeah. It's fucking annoying. It's like, which part am I, like, which one is partially signed by one key or two keys? And like, you're, it's a pain in the ass. So next, I, I really want to like have somebody champion it. I definitely don't want to do the work. I want to have somebody champion a new uh, comms protocol for wallets so that you can have an open sort of comm layer that, you know, don't know, it could be XMPP kind of thing. But like, point is, 
we need some open protocol for wallets to talk to each other because then it's not just within Nunchuck, right? It would be, say, between Nunchuck and Sparrow or whatever. Let's, yeah, let's put Craig, uh, that's what I was going to say. Let's just put Craig and Hugo on the phone together. Just yep. like give them a little five-minute intro and then just hang up the phone and let them figure it out. There you go. So, so there is that. And, and another cool thing, too, is uh, Nunchuck and us uh, and some guys from the Shift Crypto did the BSMS. So it's essentially like a, a, a you know, it's, it's nothing like too crazy or too clever. Like, it's just like a way of standardizing backup files and set up files for multisig as well. So we are getting there. And that's the backup file that you do with Nunchuck. So with Nunchuck now, you can do comms. You can do the collaboration. You can set up the stuff. And you can use the hardware wallets with uh, NFC, with SD card, uh, and with USB on the desktop version of it. It, it. It's quite phenomenal. We just gifted them a batch of uh, Nunchuck uh, branded uh, tap signers. So that uh, you know, I want them to sort of like you know push uh, uh, push that self custody that kind of easy stuff, and, and I think uh, I think they're gonna have services soon. Anyways, like fantastic work by those guys. I, I really, it's nice to see people trying to actually do new things. All right, Electrum four point three point two. When creating new requests, reuse addresses uh, of expired requests. Index request by ID instead of receiving address, trampoline routing, fix uh, sweep to local, output from channel backup, uh, harden script for uh, macOS binary, avoid using precompiled wheels from PyPy, and the Windows app image Android binaries are now built using Debian. So I feel like Electrum is going like in a terrible wrong direction of UX. Uh, it's like driving me nuts. You know, like you, you need extra clicks. There's extra buttons in the UI that don't really, it's just, it takes like three, four windows to sign a transaction. I don't think LN should exist there, it, which is a shame because it's like, it's the most sort of like OG, you know, one of the most OG wallets. I mean, it was the first wallet really, uh, like it was publicly made after Core. So it's kind of like annoying to see it go in this UX direction. Oh, and there is no more XFP information for wallets that exist. So you can't go and find the XFP information to make sure that the wallet is. Anyways, it's just, it's driving me absolutely nuts. So if anybody from Electrum is there, I, I appreciate the hard work you guys put in. But, you know, please, you know, make the UX simpler, not more complicated. Uh, do you, any of you guys still use Electrum? I, I did try out their their Lightning implementation. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to do in, in one piece of software to do uh, on chain and lightning. But I also think that I actually do like the idea of it. Um, And then when I looked in the core, in the code base, um, because it's in Python, I thought, well, maybe it'd be interesting to use their, their Python lightning code as a library and there's, there's, it's just not possible. It's all very hard coded in there. Yeah, it, it, this is this is the challenge that Electrum always had is that, you know, it started when Bitcoin was much different, right? It was even pre BIP thirty two. So it, you know, like it's just a, a constantly sort of like added on kind of code base. It's it's uh, quite challenging to uh, 
to read it. Do you, do you think we're going to see like the emergence of taproot native wallets, right? Because you build up so much cruft from having to support past things. And if you want to do something new, like I could just imagine there, you know, people's just starting from scratch. There is very few people out there that can build wallets. There is very few people out there who are willing to build wallets. Or we're going to have fresh new blood. There's going to be another yeah. bull market. There's going to be lots of new developers coming in. I don't know, like, I, I find like even wallets like Moon, which are made like sort of like post a lot of things, it's still a Bitcoin sort of semi OG there, right? Like, it, there is very few people out there who have the capacity to really build a wallet. Uh, it, it, it's, it's surprisingly hard. Uh, but that's what the beauty of BDK, for example, right? So we can have people who have a much better view of UX, a much better sort of like, you know, like intent in how to handle the transactions, do all that stuff. But, you know, the, the true hard part that is very sort of domain-specific knowledge as well is done by BDK. So, you know, maybe the BDK part for Taproot will be sort of like very good and, and or good enough, and, and then that would be used as the base to, to go forward with it. But it, it's uh, it's surprisingly hard. <laughs> And maintaining it is even harder. <laughs> and, and that's what happens to a lot of wallets. Like, you know, people go and they build it and then like sort of like keeping up with the changes and keeping up with everything is, it, it's not, uh, it's not a photo sharing app building on Bitcoin. Right. Because as an example, even if the Electrum guys wanted to go taproot only, they've got all these legacy users who they just couldn't, like they can't just say no to them and just leave them in the lurch. And I guess that's, that's part of the problem, right? Um, so we'll see if, yeah. But Pierre, I think what Pierre was saying was it'd be like a new wallet comes out of the gate that's just like Taproot native. I think it'll happen. I, I just, I'm just skeptical. In a sense, this is what Taro is. You know, it's just like a Taproot native wallet that does all kinds of crazy stuff in the Tapleaf stuff. And what Jeremy Rubin is working on now with the Judica, he just announced this thing, Judica VM. It's like an extension of Sapio, which is like a programming environment to make like graphs of transactions, right? Like this is, stuff that uses a bunch of the commitments and the Merkle trees to express fancy stuff that I don't really understand yet. And so th these are, I think these are two examples of Taproot native all. Good point. LND is Taproot by default, um, but that's lightning only, right? Well, I, I think the, the issue is not getting software sort of like written, is for that software to be of quality and of notability and of enough reviews for people to put real money in it. I, I, that that bar is a very bar, a very high bar to be crossed. You know, I have no doubt that you know, like the tarot stuff is going to be fantastic. But like, I, it's it's going to take so long for people to trust it to put like real money in it as their Bitcoin wallet, not their tarot. Yeah, well, it's not wallet. really a Bitcoin wallet. That's the thing. There you it go. Like uses Bitcoin, <laughs> but it's not a Bitcoin. You're not like the asset you're storing is not Bitcoin, so it's it's kind of weird in that way. <laughs> so so this sort of trying to say is like. You know, I, I kind of feel like I'm sounding like that old grumpy man, you know, like, but the reality is when it comes to real money, the old grumpy man, keep your money safe, right? Like, I actually hope that this just inspires young people to be old grumpy man in mentality when they're building and they go build wallets. We do need that work to be done. It just can't be done as a sort of like, you know, like let's play thing kind of, kind of deal. So basically, there's a high bar. 
<laughs> Very high. Yeah. All right. Fountain, 0.5.1. Autoplay Q, Apple CarPlay, OPML Import, Performance Upgrades. So I just wanted to, to bring this up. I, I got a little bit of hate on Fountain because I, I, I was shitting on Podcast 2.0 or whatever they call it, the, the value for value thing. Uh, a person literally tipped me and said that it feels weird to be tipping somebody who hates on that tip. I totally appreciate that. I, I think people get it wrong. It's just that like I absolutely love that. I just failed to see how that sort of scales because, you know, there, there's a reason why advertising model works is because, you know, users hate paying for things. But it doesn't mean I don't like it or I don't love it or I don't hope it doesn't happen. Uh, so anyway, so to that uh, to that listener who, who did comment there, I did read it and, and I do empathize with your comment. I just, it's just complicated. But it is fun to, to be there. And as I said this before, I absolutely love when people like send me a tip and, and sort of say something. It, it means more than just a comment. But do you really think we we have the advertising model because users don't pay things? Or is it because... Absolutely. I'm with NVK here. We've never had this capability before. Like We've never had the ability for an audience to directly fund the content they listen to without a number. But Matt, think, think just the math of this, right? Let's say you have Joe Rogan's audience. Okay, so 11 million downloads on a single episode or something like that, right? So let's say each person is giving 10 sats, right? So that's still very little money. <laughs> you know, can somebody do the math quickly there on 10 sats times... Uh, 11 million times uh, the current Bitcoin price. But that's not how it works out. What How it works out is is very few people give money, but the ones that do give large amounts of money. But they don't. I think it's yet to be seen. I hope it happens. The ad model is convenient, especially within the con- con- confines, like the constraints of the legacy system. Uh, the ad model is very profitable and very convenient. I, I think people might be able to make more money, you know, going with a value for value model. It just hasn't been proven out yet. Sam Harris is pretty successful and he's within the constraints of the traditional system. So I just ran the numbers, by the way. It's about, so as an example, uh, correct me if I got it wrong, but it looks like it's about 110 million sats, which at today's prices is about 21,288 USD, which is far less than what Joe Rogan would be charging for on ads. And you can only have like 10 pods that big, right? Like actually there's just one as the market has proven. I feel like we can find like a much more interesting sort of middle ground there somewhere, right? Where you have say resyndication for a buck, right? So people create curated lists and they get paid for having those curated lists and they share that that with with the makers of the pods or you know, the, the advertising sort of placement could be much better and better sort of rerouted and better syndicated with Lightning, right? So that you have like better distribution of capital. There is like a lot of like other more complicated, cool stuff that essentially like all the ad advertising markets on social media, right? Could all be redone much better because there's no friction or cost on those transactions, it's just, I feel like the, the value for value is very similar to open source. Everybody uses the stuff, but ends up never paying for it. So like, 
I don't know. It's just challenging. I, I think there will be a niche. I think some people will make money. Like say, uh, what's the name? Uh, um, uh, the point 2.0. Uh, uh, Adam, Adam Curry. Curry. Adam Curry. So Adam Curry does make a, you know, a proper living out of this stuff. But I think it's it's not going to be like a, as wide as as people hope. But let's hope so. Let's hope it works. Uh, please keep the tips coming. I do enjoy those sets, okay? <laughs> All right. So uh, RoboSats uh, 0.2.1. Dispatch includes the new book table component. This is the first alpha release with Android APK. Do you guys uh, use uh, RoboSats? Matt does. RoboSats is fucking awesome. I actually met uh, I met someone here in Amsterdam who just translated all their documentation to Chinese. Amazing. And he's looking for another Chinese-speaking individual to proofread it. So if you're out there, hit me up. There you go. All right, I feel like we kind of glanced over this in the last episode. Code card 5.0.7. I won't go through all the things, uh, but that is the official release. Uh, Matt you is laughing. Because you put your own update in two episodes in a row. Of course. <laughs> Somebody has to pay for all this uh, all this production. So <laughs> it's actually more stuff added. Uh, NFC enhancements, multi-sig NFC import, NFC messaging, uh, message signing, uh, show address over NFC, and uh, the MSG the the NFC uh, message signing was important because Nunchuck needed to do uh, health checks. Uh, so so that was uh, recent, but it's going to be on Nunchuck next release. Uh, the HSM enhancements, dynamic HSM uh, white listening, HSM policy hash display during first activation ignores HSM commands over USB by default now. Uh, we're going to probably remove the whole HSM stack uh, uh, from main release and, unless people want it, then they would just sort of activate it or have separate firmware. I don't know yet. Uh, enhancements, uh, menu wrapping. This was a big one for me. Allow import of descriptors. Uh, descriptor type specifies both internal and external in a single string. Uh, add ability to specify address format in the text file to be signed. If you guys have any questions, I'm happy to answer. Otherwise, I'll probably uh, move to the next. Okay. So, Embassy OS version 0.3.2. Auto-scrolling for logs. Improved connect connectivity between browser and Embassy. Switch to Postgres uh, for EOS database. Uh, multiple bug fixes under multiple bug fixes, various UI UX enhancements, removal of product keys. Uh, anybody using Embassy OS right now? It's start nine, right? There was way more, uh, <laughs> there was way more in the change log than you, than the release notes than you read. Well, those are the highlights that they put on. That's the deal. I was like getting excited. I thought you were going to read the whole fucking thing. No, uh, we, by the way, we do the same to our products too. Cold card, we only put the the, the summary. We, we do not go through the whole list. It's too much. It was a massive update. Supposedly, uh, they did a lot of work uh, behind the scenes on that one. Yeah, so so what I have here is essentially the summary, which is the six items, and then there is like 
which they wrote uh, the highlights. And then there is a what's changed, which is like a million issues. So like in practical terms, what I heard from them, because I saw, uh, I saw their lead dev uh, two weeks ago, um, is that it, it is a massive performance improvement and reliability improvement for uh, nodes that are running on Raspberry Pis. But what's also really interesting about Star9, Star9 is one of these node projects, right? So like you can run a bunch of self-hosted things on them is they're about to release a in partnership with Purism, which is like a well-known privacy security hardware manufacturer, like a top a top tier node. It's like $1900, it runs an Intel chip. So that's interesting. It's the first it's the first, you know, Bitcoin focused one to kind of go into that premier that premier step. Nice to see. Cuz I know you hate pies, so that's why. Yeah, no. Fuck Raspberry <laughs> Pis. I mean, it, it all like nothing that has pie in the name, which is high carb, high fiat, uh, uh, should be used for Bitcoin. Yeah. So I did a recent episode with Matt Hill. So we spoke a little bit about some of this stuff. Actually, it came up in response to my other episode with Katan, where we were kind of where Katan was also sharing your sentiment about Raspberry Pis. So yeah, we spoke. They spoke a bit about that. Um, it sounds like the idea is obviously not just Bitcoin, but the idea is to sort of. How much could you replace by fossing someone's stuff, right? Whether that's a business or a community, could you replace things with the likes of Nextcloud or Mattermost instead of Slack or these kinds of things and then sort of make that case that the business can save money by going FOSS and using the embassy device instead. So there's a bit of a play there. It's interesting to see what way they go. Also, they took away, it seems, the product key. So... Um, I can't remember the detail of that, but I, I recall also Odell, you had a Citadel dispatch where there was a big debate about, okay, how much FOSS should the node projects be? And, you know, uh, on one side, you've got Raspberry Blitz and Ronin Dojo who are like full FOSS. Then you've got the people who are somewhere in the middle, like uh, Start9 and MyNode. And then over on the other end, you've got like the umbrals of the world, right? They're source viewable, uh, Start9. Um, you can build it yourself. You can verify it, but you can't monetize it. So similar, similar uh, license to NVK, uh, not the exact same license. I've been talking to a lot of founders, and uh, I think the problem is there's a huge chunk of devs out there that are terrified of the FOSS uh, people. Um, and, and also there's a lot of FOSS people who are just absolutely like disheartened with the lack of cold review and sort of like... The, the status of FOSS. And I think a lot of this can be attributed to, so like the, the, the existing uh, FOSS uh, sentiment and, and sort of attitude, especially by the people who don't write code. Um, the, the, actually, the majority of the FOSS zealotry comes from people that don't write code. You know, this is not a new debate. This is not a, this is not going to end debate. Uh, maybe that's what the next episode panel should be. I should get a, a lawyer, a few people from from different walks of life that are like in the FOSS spectrum that are interested in talking about this a bit more honestly. Well, you should just get a bunch of maintainers of MIT license projects and tell them that they don't code. Um, but that's not what I said. <laughs> yeah, anyways, I, I feel like there's a lot of people out there that are scared shitless of talking about this stuff publicly, which is the biggest challenge, right? Well, that's like, definitely true. Um, and uh, it's just nice to see some projects with with some balls that that do what they want to do. I pulled up the I pulled up that Embassy Pro that we were talking about. Like it's a fucking powerhouse, thirty two gigs of RAM. 
It's got a brand new i7 in it, two terabytes SSD. Like they're going for the like a proper self-hosted machine. Nice. And you can build it yourself on desktop, but and because it cannot be re-commercialized, it's not going to be Amazon and Google who are going to make the money over their effort. <laughs> you know, that's ultimately who makes the money from all the fuss. It's Google, Amazon, Microsoft. Anyways. So yeah, I, I met Matt, uh, a solid dude. Really wants to 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 make this happen. Like he he is uh, he's a person who 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 really wants to to change the way this uh, this kinds of product category are done, which is uh, also nice to see. Yeah, jokes aside, I mean, you should definitely have Matt on. I feel like you two would vibe really. It'd be really. I, I met him and we we chatted. I, I didn't chat as much as I'd like to. No, but, but I mean recorded. Oh, you mean recorded? Oh, I see. Yes, I I feel like if I'm if I'm recording this, uh, one I should be a hundred percent sober, and two, I should uh, I should have uh, probably somebody in the middle there just to uh, to uh, moderate and tame some views and commentary. You can have guest Matt Odell. Uh, right. I don't know. Matt Matt can be a, a zealot. <laughs> I was very fair on the roundtable, the node one we were talking about, and Matt was on that. Yeah, that's true. And you know what's funny, right? Uh, what was his name? Um, uh, Future Paul. Uh, Future He's Paul. He's a real zealot. He's- yeah, I know. But it was funny because he was making fun that uh, that I took the like some of the text from uh, from Bitcoin Bitcoin bounties. Uh, but but at the yeah, like you after- didn't you didn't. Uh- you didn't give him credit. Yeah. Uh no, I did attribute. But anyways, he, he did, but what was funny is he actually took my code from something else and he didn't even know. <laughs> and then anyways, we were laughing about that. But uh yeah, I mean it's not easy. And it's 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 gonna be a, a, a very, very tricky dynamic forever on that. To me, the most important thing to Bitcoiners is that the security needs to be done in public. Everything needs to be verifiable. How people choose to monetize, don't monetize, give, don't give, that's their problem. That is my view. Let me make one comment about Start9. It's, it's like of, of all the node implementations, I think they've gone, uh, you know, they, they built like an actual operating system kind of in Rust uh, that does a good job of modeling the state of the machine. So if you're, if you're going to write a new package, like we're going to write a Fediment package at some point. So you can spin up this uh, federated private bank and be a you know from your Raspberry Pi, and so one of the cool things is it can like kick we call off it Moon flows. Shitcoin. Uh, no comment on that. Uh, so uh, uh, you it, you'll, you can fire up flows and kind of kind of understand what is the state of your Bitcoin node, what is the state of your uh, Lightning node, like what what configuration needs to happen. So I think this Start Nine has like a really solid foundation for building like future protocols on top of Bitcoin and Lightning. Where uh, versus some of the other ones, they're also really you know they they branch out outside of Bitcoin as well. They have like photo viewers, chat servers. Like they they're they're trying to do a lot more than the other ones, I think. And which is a downside too, you know. Like, do you do you want your photos? Do you want a bunch of photos? You know, swimming around your Lightning Channel private key file. You know, that's kind of it's kind of scary. Yeah, no, it, it's. Uh... Yeah, we were talking to them about uh, we're going to, if we do do that code node thing we want to do, we would have to create a package that creates uh, essentially a delta of uh, Bitcoin Core's DB so that you can you can then air gap move that around. 
So we would need some of these node projects to sort of be the, the high availability, latest copy of the chain available. Uh, so looking forward to that. All right. Blockstream Green, QT 1.1.4. Support for incremental uh, Jade firmware update. Enable request uh, two-factor reset for Liquid. After Nunchuck, I don't really use uh, Green too much. It is a it is a, a, a like a nice UX wallet. They did start supporting sort of like standard SIG things, so it's kind of nice. Do any of you guys use uh, Green right now? Nope. I think it, it's like it's a great way for you to to have uh, Liquid support, right? Which is like not very broad install base. So it's uh, it's nice to see. I feel like the only wallet that has less users uh, than Copay is Green Wallet. I, I think it's sort of like, it's kind of, it used to have a lot of users back before Blockstream bought them. It used to be called uh, Green, Address. Green Address. Yes, and it was actually uh, based on the idea of you having a pre-vetted UTXO. No, it wasn't a pre-vetted UTXO. It was more novel than that. It was a multi-sig where they controlled one key Right. And then they had a deal with the merchant where the merchant would trust that they wouldn't charge them back. So if you paid from green green address, the merchant could do a zero confirmation transaction because they trusted green address wasn't going to double spend them. And it's Lawrence uh, who the maintainer is. And it was a was. cool idea. Yeah, I don't know. Well, the problem is when he came out to green address, there was also some talks on the mailing list about green addresses being like state sanctioned addresses. So it murky the water a little bit of the concept and the name that sort of sent back the project a lot. Yeah, I mean, it even muddied it in your brain. You were like, yes, prove that. Clearly. Exactly, yeah. Clearly. Right, uh, next here. Sorry, I was trying to buy some domains. But even if you're using Liquid, wouldn't you use like a lot of, uh, they have another wallet now. They have like Aqua. Doesn't yeah, matter. Aqua is green. Goes, it almost goes back to Pierre's uh, earlier comment where I, it just almost feels like there's so much debt on like tech debt on on green wallet yeah but no, i think so aqua is kind of gonna be it's green yeah but aqua is actually gonna you know how samson mao left blockstream to go to start jan 3 and i think aqua is eventually going to be relaunched as part of jan 3 so, oh. they, so i think there will be some separation there and eventually aqua, and aqua is jan 3 so justin where should i redirect uh, uh moonshitcoin.cash <laughs> Just send it to his Twitter profile. <laughs> Good one. Okay. Uh, that was a freebie. <laughs> He's going to make you buy it back from him at the top. That's right. LND 0.15.2 beta. Well, that was that everybody talked about this a bit already. Is the big taproot multi sig transaction 998 out of 999 uh, multi sig uh, to prove a point, which broke BTCD which is what LND was running behind the scenes, which I'm actually surprised. Uh, I, I thought LND was LNDD. It's, no, you're... Uh, they, I'm butchering. They use, well, so they use the library in common, right? Um, but you can use... A, even if you were using the Bitcoin D backend, you still had this bug because LND was using a library that is a BTCD library. I mean, it's pretty... It's a fair bug yeah i i think this is this is good I mean, it's totally fair bug i it's mean it, you know shows people are using things 
No, I mean, seriously, like Bitcoin is growing, right? So there's going to be a lot of more complexity and a lot more features. Uh, but because Bitcoin is actually good, uh, it, it doesn't let you interact with the network in a way that you're not supposed to interact with the network, in the positive or in the negative, right? So if you're not supporting a transaction that is supported, you're going to fork off, right? That, that would have been the example of, of essentially SegWit. If you didn't support SegWit and your node started seeing SegWit transactions, you would have forked off. When, no, isn't it? Well, first of all, I fucking love Barack. He is a smart kid. I'm glad we have him. Um, and just seems like a good dude. Isn't it like it's because they were like half doing it. They were like looking at like they they had taproot support because it's a soft fork, right? So if, if your node is pre-SegWit, you wouldn't be seeing SegWit transactions That's at right. all. You just wouldn't even know they existed. In this case, they were updated, so they saw the Taproot transaction, they just library handbook. But they didn't have the full implementation. Yeah. Okay, my understanding of it was that you, you could have done this without Taproot. The, it's just, it has to do with the amount of data. I, I did not look into it. I'd have to look at the details, but I think because they, if I recall correctly, there's somebody who reproduced it without Taproot. Interesting. Let's see how many bytes here. No, it's pretty small. But like it, it <laughs> it's not syncing with the chain, right? It like wasn't staying with chain tip after. As far as I know, BTCD forked off. In general. In general. Completely forked. So just from Lalu's comments, he was saying the issue was in BTCD's wire passing library that deserializes raw blocks. So I think there was some particular check that he had put in or that they, the BTCD team had put in so that it was that it would validate, it would accept the block, but it was to do with how it passes the block as it comes over the wire. I think that was the issue. So then they had to update that and get that in line. And that was where they did this hot fix um, to go 15.2. Because if you were running, yes. if you were running a, like a pre taproot, Bitcoin, BTCD, you didn't fork off, right? That's right. But but don't forget, LND from 0.15 onwards was L, was taproot by default. Right. So yeah, I think that to sync the state of a Lightning node, you have to process blocks, which you get from your uh, from your, you get from your Bitcoin node. And so uh, this transaction, like uh, there's a raw transaction, and it's it's quite huge. Uh, so I think the basically like the stack size in the witness. Uh, was like 11, 1100 or 11,000 bytes. Uh, there was, it was hard coded. Anything above 11,000 bytes, uh, BTCD would just error on. And this transaction was like a little above that, right? So it just, it just couldn't, it just rejected it. And so, uh, so then. Why are we, they running a random size? Because Bitcoin core, like Bitcoin network can take a bigger transaction than that. Yeah, so there, there is, there is like a a, a top size here because you don't want to be, you don't want to accept like an arbitrarily large transaction because you have to load it into memory. If it's too big, it could crash it. You don't want to have to attempt to validate it. Oh, okay. So it was their choice. So you need you need some of these limits, but so the limit was too low, and so it just uh, it couldn't parse this, and therefore it rejected the block, and therefore uh, your Lightning node might have your Bitcoin D Lightning node might have caught up, be it a Binet chain tip, but Lightning D was not. And one really bad thing here is that you can actually tell if a Lightning node, an LND node, is not at a chain tip. And so it's very easy to scan the network and see which nodes you can steal money from. So if you haven't updated, you've probably already lost your money. Uh, I think like it's it'll be close depending on how long your timeouts are in Lightning. Uh, so that's kind of one of the scary things is you really had to update quick. And if you haven't, you should update. Uh, and then, what's, you know, the default, what's the default time lock? I think two weeks. Yeah. 
Okay, okay. So then you're just probably still still time. So then you still have time, right? Yeah. So just upgrade your LND node if you haven't. That's like the takeaway if you're listening. Uh, one kind of concerning thing is that you know they're using a library uh, BTCD that doesn't have a maintainer. It doesn't have like a full time developer. So this is one of those things where you know maybe this would have been caught if they had uh, more people. Like for example, they they tested they they did test uh, this parsing logic, but they only did it with transactions. They didn't do it from a block. So the actually the code path that was getting exercised didn't get tested, even though uh, they thought they had. Uh, another cool one is uh, there's a tool uh, released by Tony Giorgio. Uh, it's called LNSploit, which is like a really, I, didn't, I don't think it's in the notes. It's like a cool thing to like execute exploits on the Lightning Network. Uh, this is, you know, uh, and so he he actually gave a demo yesterday of, you know, showing how to do this, steal this money between two reg test nodes. Uh, so it's it's kind of interesting. Lightning hasn't existed in an adversarial environment. And, uh, and so this is like see, seeing tools like this arise, you know, it's, uh, if there is an exploit, it'll become easier to, to do it, which you know encourages people to be a little more conservative. And also, like, there's just an incentive problem too, right? Because it's a lot less value. So, sort of like low hanging fruit problems that can only you know access nodes that don't have a lot of money may not be as exploited uh, as you know a Bitcoin sort of client that may be holding millions. Well, this situation reminded me of of an idea I'd had of having a node out there that is trying to bait people into uh, trying to exploit it. So, uh, you know, pretending to be offline uh, while still watching. Uh, And this would have just been a great opportunity uh, to have a plausible, you know, uh, oh, hey, come, come, you know, broadcast an old state and then snap, you, uh, you uh, punish them, you know, come back online immediately. And so, like, I think that w- once you've got people doing that, then now the the game theory is like, all right, I don't know if this person's actually offline or not, and uh, that's that's I think the important equilibrium to be at, um, so that uh, lightning is is robust in an adversarial environment. Yeah, it also gets into the conversation about watchtowers, right? It's the same kind of idea that if even if your node is offline or hypothetically, if your node was not updated, but the watchtower was, maybe, you know, there's something there. This is like the debate about, uh, is, is should you have concealed carry or open carry of a handgun? <laughs> and yeah. I, I like the concealed carry argument of, well, don't you want it to be the case that nobody knows if if somebody else is armed or not, right? Um, and so I would want watchtowers to be like concealed as well. Of Like, you don't know if this person's using a watchtower or not. Mess around, find out. You know, I think what Pierre is advocating for is a polite society. Uh, sorry, an armed polite, <laughs> an armed society is a polite society. Uh, a view for the security of Bitcoin and Lightning. Since you guys mentioned watchtowers, I'm, I'm pretty. Am I correct that the main L and D watchtower that people use was also affected by this? Oops. Yes, yes, correct. Um, <laughs> I know uh, what's his name, Sergi Delgado. He has this. Um, I have Satoshi. I have Satoshi. Um, but I'm not sure if that would have caught this in this. That ex- only this works case. with Core Lightning. It doesn't work with LND, is my understanding. Ah, correct. Yes. So, like LND has a prepackaged watchtower that everyone's been using, and that also uh, would have been vulnerable. Yeah, but yeah. you know, that's also a conversation then about how where watchtowers go. Should there be some kind of cross compatibility? I don't know. Yeah, and this is why I normally avoid lightning subjects in the show because you know, like we're more like a based layer kind of thing, and and it's just too complicated. All right, even at Wait, the base layer, though, on. like 
this I think this is a great argument for running multiple implementations side by side. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that way you 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 have some awareness of what's going on because hypothetically, you could have a bug in Bitcoin Core that's not in BTCD, right? That there's no rule against that. And uh, that's something you would want to catch as well. So Bitcoin knots. Bitcoin knots is the one to yeah, run. But I'm not joking. Sure, it's sure. Bitcoin knots, old versions of Bitcoin Core. Run all the versions. And B Core and et cetera. But yeah. Yeah, because LND was the only one that went down. Core Lightning was still up. LDK was still up. Electrum. Well, Core Lightning is in C. That's why it was running. <laughs> and even then, you could still, uh, could, just to be clear, the failure mode here was not, like, you could still route payments. It was just that your node wouldn't tell, wouldn't be able to tell if the open or close, like, channel got closed. So, you can tell if you're getting attacked. Yeah. I just wanted to say before we move on that one of my favorite parts of this whole thing is that Barack tweeted it out super excited. He's like, I just did this massive multi <laughs> transaction for only $4. And then he just broke all the LND nodes. <laughs> But it's always how it is, right? Like, this is exactly how software breaks. Better that way than a malicious person, right? That's right. Uh, can you imagine if he was a shitcoiner that found this bug? It would have been major drama. But because he was like a friendly, you know, it's like, who cares? Nobody reports on it. So so the next update is for Matt. And it's mostly because I found out that like uh, their last uh, uh, fucking VK uh, uh, commit really was just drama. And they really just removed uh, OpenDime because the library was broken and didn't want to fix it. So I figured I'd bring back uh, the Ninja Wallet here. Uh, Samurai version 0.99.98F, making a debut on Bitcoin.review. Uh, <laughs> they have a new Paynim bot and two bar menu authenticate with uh, using Paynim. Brand new UI for both initiating collaborative collaborating stonewall uh new join bot anti-spam fee and new tool screen for other things that will definitely not include my products because i'm persona non grata so uh, uh matt uh please uh I'll take the floor it was a major update it's good to see it covered there you go uh, remember folks make sure you use it if you're on dojo always that that is my view yeah, you should always use your wallet with your own node. That's right. Otherwise, you're trusting someone else's node. Exactly. All right. Is there any other software updates, like version updates that I may have missed before we move on to the next section of the show? Was that Jam Wallet a new thing with a, a Jam a UI for Join Market? That was a new thing since the last. Oh, good point. Might have missed that. Yeah, I saw a few people sharing that. It looks really slick. But it's, it's not a new release. It's a, a beautiful website, I believe. Oh, okay. Oh, it seems like a new UI for. Well, regardless, it's awesome. So, do you guys want to talk about that gem thing? What's the URL? Oh, I don't remember. Okay. So, Jam I... app, maybe. I think they're on Raspberry Blitz and uh, and Umbral now. Umbral has it, yeah. Jam, Jam. Um, but they made a really clean new website. Nope. What? Do not go to jmjams.com. It's a it's a join market web UI. Oh, there it is. Jamapp.org. But it's a really pretty, easy to use web UI if you're if you're running your own node. Very pretty. Uh, particularly helpful to people that are running one of these popular node projects because it's just like point and click. 
Join Market is my favorite privacy project. Um, it is the least dramatic uh, and the most productive. Um, so, and the least central, it, it's fully decentralized. That, that's the part that really is to me the. Oh, they have a quote from you on the website. It's really? Are you just playing dumb this whole time? <laughs> Where is it? Yeah, it's on the it's on their front page. If you scroll down, you're the influencer showing them. I don't see it. Basically, you're making the point that a lot of the <laughs> other ones could get shut down, and that Join Market is you know decentralized. <laughs> That's great. Hey, look at that. And last time I tested it, it was ClearNet only. So just keep that in mind. Um, it it they say themselves it's still beta, but they're moving very quickly, which is great to see. That's fantastic. You know, we need more options. With more decentralizationness to these things, you know, we will win out like big time. I actually spoke to them because we have a bounty out for that for for basically what Jam is. Nice, a uh, web UI for Join Market, and it sounds like they're trying to get consensus because there's maybe like eight to ten contributors. But they, they might just donate it to a different open source project. Hey, Spyro, I know you guys like to, uh, love to support and like make it rain on an open source project. So uh, look, there is one right here that could use uh, some Fiat bucks. No, but they literally said they don't want the bounty. Oh. I'm saying the opposite. Oh, the opposite. Oh, well. Okay, well, it's great to see. If they're makers on Join Market, they could end up making money off of more people using it. There you go. All right, next one on user noteworthy is uh, one of my projects, uh, but I do have somebody else working on it, which is kind of cool. BitcoinTreasuries.net. There's a whole new website, completely sort of properly made. Uh, is no longer a Google spreadsheet being hosted with a hack. And you're going to be able to create your own account uh, in the next probably couple of weeks and sort of contribute data. There's uh, APIs going to be in and out. I've talked to the folks from Glassnode. There are some brilliant kids there. We're gonna we're gonna sort of find a way of also listing uh, wrapped Bitcoin in DerpFi. It's very important because uh, the DerpFi people do have a lot of Bitcoin, and they are, one or not, a influencer in the greater Bitcoin economy. So I, I want to capture that and understand that risk. There is charts. And all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, the guys from uh, what was her name? Uh, Mackenzie, Mackenzie, that that one of the only good uh, Bitcoin journalists, just used the site as a, a reference in one of her latest articles. Anyways, it's uh, it's a lot of fun, man, to uh, to have this data there because uh, it's kind of like uh, watching uh, the size of the pile that people are, are making on Bitcoin and. Uh, Business people are very competitive, and they need a leaderboard to understand how much more Bitcoin they need to buy. So uh, if I can provide that as a service, so be it. So yeah, pretty pretty excited about that. The, the new site does look fucking awesome. I just want to point out before we move on that NVK sold BitcoinTreasuries.org to the same guys that bought BitBo, and then he just launched BitcoinTreasuries.net and made improvements to be fair, though, I did want to sell the whole package, the data, the domains, the Twitter account and everything. They said they didn't want it. I said, listen, you know, if you, if you don't want to buy the whole thing, then I'm going to run it because it's still passionate about this project. So they're okay with it. So, uh, so that's what it is. It's .NET now, even though I don't like the .NET framework. So, yeah, so, so we have that going there. 
It's a lot of fun. Stratum V2, reference implementation. This is really cool. Stratum V2 is a big, big deal for miners. It was a long time coming. It's not simple. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, like, people people got it done. Any, any of you guys have uh, some commentary on it? Okay, none of us are going to have fun staying poor the next few weeks as miners. Well, actually, no, Pierre works for Riot now. Uh, uh, gonna be, uh, it's going to be wonderful to, uh, to have the, the new hash rate, the current Bitcoin prices. But uh, I am certain uh, Riot is going to make it. Or maybe the new hash is Riot's. Well, well I did see know, Riot was number six on the leaderboard, so I think they'll, there you go. they'll make it. I have a long-running theory that uh, what happens every single bear market cycle that the hash rate goes up is essentially the miners that are in a good uh, cash position, they will hold off turning on hash rates just before the price truly dumps. And then like just when everybody looks like they're going to like completely get destroyed because of the price and their leverage on the mining equipment, then they're going to turn on the mining gear to really like destroy completely the mining competition. And, uh, and then they'll just buy them all out. Is that the equivalent of like one kid bullying the other by dunking his head under the water? Yeah, kind of. But to be fair, like that kid is dunking their own heads into the water. <laughs> I think that's a little bit too conspiratorial. I mean, I think that uh, speaking as as an insider, at the end of the day, it, it takes time to deploy. And there's, in order for the profit margin compression to happen, yeah, it takes like 18 to 24 months, right? Wow. And so that's why, you know, from the top of the bull market to the bottom, uh, it's, it's a brutal ride down, but uh, hash rate number go up. And uh, and then the cycle will start all over again, you know. Uh, people will abandon, uh, you know. The the marginal miners will will turn off, right? They'll go away, and then uh, the Bitcoin bull market will come back, and then everyone will be scrambling to uh, build more infrastructure, and then uh, actually come online during the next bear market. So, so what what Pierre actually described is like is that scene where the bully is grabbing the kid's hand and punching them in the face with their own hand and saying, "You're doing this to your own self." I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it, it is actually like it's new to me. I'm not super like into the mining industry, but, but you are you are into the manufacturing industry. You know, it takes time to to manufacture yes. a, a, a new device, right? And so. No, it's just fascinating to me how long, though, like the 16 to 18 months for like, you know, because the mining industry is it's fairly like mature, right? Well, I mean, mature between quotes, like mature for Bitcoin, right? <laughs> I mean, look, look uh, we just had a 1000 multi-sig cause, you know, a big <laughs> bug and like, like we're, we're, we're all so trying early. to figure this out we're at so the same early. time. We're so early. We are so, so, so early. early. Yeah. And I think one other point to add <laughs> is that really, like from the miners' point of view, it's not... I don't think it's that likely that they would have capacity that they could turn on that they don't. Yeah, that would never happen. Right? Like, why wouldn't they? Like, if they're profitable, they should turn it on, right? Yeah. So I think that kind of maybe goes against the conspiratorial argument in, in some way because it's like, look, they just genuinely have some delay with getting the machinery or getting the rack space or getting the power and, you know, that kind of thing. The power seems to be, the power infrastructure do seems to be like the biggest bottleneck now, not the ASICs or the, the gear. 
it seems some of the miners that I have sort of conversations with seems to be their problem. I don't know if that's widespread in the industry, but like, you know, you can't get transformers. Yeah. You can't get like the actual last mile of that, that because like people don't understand the size uh, of the energy delivery that you have last mile for miners. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. crazy. And like Riot acquired uh, a company called ESS Metron that makes electrical equipment. There you, you know, go. It's like uh, you've you got to do whatever it takes. You guys must be loving the price of copper right now. <laughs> there's there's definitely, I mean, you know, I guess just refer to our public financial statements. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I have a I have a a, a friend, a hunting friend who does the electrical design for Amazon warehouses. Very smart kid. And, uh, you know, he's always telling me, like, dude, you have no idea the insanity right now. It's like, I can't get this. I can't get that. Uh, and, and this is like fucking Amazon. Right? Like, I mean, you know, they go like jump and the companies go how high. So I can't even imagine how, how difficult it is for for, for companies that don't have that kind of reach because a lot of the stuff you guys are buying is commodity, right? So you guys are literally competing with Amazon warehouses. So it's uh, it must be very interesting. Hardware is fun. It is, but uh, Riot is, is growing and uh, we just came out with our monthly uh, report. Our hash rate is uh, still heading records. So yeah, adding more machines every day. Cool. All right, next update is uh, Plebe creates a two of three multi-sig air gap uh, vault with code card, ledger, and tap signer. It's the key keeper. Uh, I think that's actually the Pranif, I think is his name. One of the main lead devs at uh, Hexa Wallet. Uh, Man, I think you, you know those guys. Uh, you, you know those guys well. Yeah, so I mean, Hexa Wallet originally had like a novel. It was a mobile wallet that had like a novel Shamir secrets combined with multi-sig scheme and no seed backups. And they realized the importance of standards, so they pulled they pulled that scheme. They made Hexa Wallet just a basic, you know, seed standard wallet that complies with with the seeds that everyone else uses. And then they came out with this separate app Keeper that is focused on multi-sig and specifically working with hardware wallets on phones. So they're kind of like the second ones to do it after Nunchuck. And I, I mean, I expect this trend to continue. Like mobile mobile first kind of experiences are going to become more and more common because more and more Bitcoiners, that's going to be the main way they interact. Well, I mean, like, Bitcoin. you know, 90% of the world is mobile first, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. People who have like real money in, in sort of like first world, Terms will have computers and they're going to go for air gap and it's going to be a fuck to the money. But like when you're talking about, you know, the majority of the world's population, you will be mobile first. People don't actually own a computer and they'll have phones with crappy cameras and, you know, crappy screens. And that's why like NFC is on everything that, that like NFC will eat the world. It already did with payments. So it's just a progression of that. I think this is this is great. And what's cool too is that all these wallets are supporting everything. They're supporting QRs, they're supporting SDs, they're supporting NFCs. At the end of the day, the more ways people have to interact with Bitcoin and ways to not have the keys on their phones, the better. I think this is super cool. And these guys are based in India too, which is, you know, I, I hope they start focusing on that market as opposed to the North American market. 
it must be a smaller market at the moment, but uh, I, I don't know. Like, have you talked to them about this? From my perspective, uh, there's a lot of mind share in the American English speaking community. Uh, so they've been basically, it's like two pronged. They've, they've obviously been focused on the ground in India, but you know, they, they, they basically are, are publicizing themselves to American English speakers for peer review. Like they even have a they have a big conference they're doing there the first Bitcoin only India conference. I'm a speaker. <laughs> yeah, me, me me and Stefan will be remote. I think I assume you're remote as well. Yeah, I just yeah it was. Yeah. But they're good guys. They mean well. Uh, you know. Yep, they do. They got some of the bounty for a JavaScript uh, library. They're not like the most talented dev team by any means in the space, but but they're trying and they're improving. Um, and it's good to see because they do mean well. I think as projects like that start to have a bigger user base or more funding in those countries, they will have a lot better quality code and a lot of things happening because they will attract better talent that wants to live there or already is from there that left and wants to come back. You will find, yeah, I think the code quality will improve as the number go up <laughs> improves. Uh, uh, in terms of users and and Bitcoin sort of adoption, it's bullish. You know, when you look at the quality of apps, like in Brazil, on in India, on the app stores, you know, like this is this is miles better. Uh, uh, so it's, it's and it's not English centric, hopefully for their app in their country. So I, I think it's uh, it's gonna take time, and it's gonna take a lot of effort. Okay, so the Guatemalan guy <laughs> mining Bitcoin with used cooking oil. I mean, how can you not just at least mention it? I just fucking love it. I mean, you know, the dude is like, you know, my backyard, I got a miner, I got a motor that can burn biodiesel. I'm going to put some coconut cooking oil on it. Why not? <laughs> it probably smelled terrible around it, but hey, fantastic. That's why the hash rate spiking. It's that dude. That's right. You know, North America is, 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 is dumping vegetable oils and uh, seed oils. So now we have a new path for all these crappy oils. Let's just uh, burn them and make sets. If you talk with the uh, renewable people, for some reason they've decided that biomass is renewable. And so <laughs> it's because it grows again. Right. And so they're <laughs> they're like cutting down entire forests to burn instead of using coal because it's more renewable. But like, it pollutes more. It's way worse uh, by every no, measure, but, but somebody lobbied the right people to add <laughs> biomass to the list of renewable technology, which is really just, uh, you know, going back to ancient technology, but yeah, it's, it's insanity. And so I, I think this guy is at the forefront of renewable Bitcoin mining. Pierre, you just have a wrong time frame in mind. Okay. See, oil is renewable. Every hundred million years, you're going to have dinosaurs that are going to get, you know, an algae in the ocean that's going to be completely covered by soil again, and it's going to make oil again. So oil is renewable. Right. If you look at cooking oils through the same lens, you know, it's all the same. Everything's renewable. The biomass thing's even more fucked up because they're cutting our forests and they're shipping them to Europe so Europe can say it's renewable. We're not even burning our own forests. Well, it also cuts into food supply, and that's the real goal, is to de- depopulate the world. So, uh. I mean, this is true for ethanol, right? I mean, in Brazil, they do sugarcane. In the U.S., they do corn. And 
you know, you're taking farmland that could be producing, you know, amazing meat or whatever, even kale for the people who prefer kale over meat, uh, and they're producing crap that's monocropped and destroys the environment to make fuel that is really not great. You know, you would notice on on uh, better combustion engines, especially the the high end ones, they'll say no ethanol, please, uh, right on the tank. So uh, it, it's very unfortunate that we live in a world of such a a skilled understanding of physics. And the other point to see uh, related is how Europe is redefining energy as green, right? So, for example, they were they recently redefined gas as green. Now, it's in a way you can make that argument. Bombs obviously. are ESG. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, ultimately, necessity is driving them to actually remember. Actually, we have to be pragmatic instead of virtue signaling and wind and solar and all that. Yep. Specifically with this dude, I just want to say it's just really cool that the way like proof of work works that like it just rewards ingenuity. Like the guy was just creative. He was resourceful. He figured out an edge. And then the second thing is, you know, Pierre started the environmental thing, part of this conversation, but he actually makes a point in the thing that the locals were just dumping the, the used cooking oil in his local lake. So he can just get it from all the other people too. And instead of them dumping it in the lake, he's fucking making Bitcoin off of it. Well, don't you guys remember that movie nerds that the guy had the biodiesel car? Very similar, you know, it just the oil is going to the garbage anyways. Don't throw oil in your fucking local lakes, please. Yeah, mine big one with them. All right. Uh, Peach was announced, came out public, finally. P2P mobile application. Essentially, it's like a P2P market. I find it super cool. It's Steph, right, uh, who's behind this? Yeah, proof of Steph. She's been around at Amsterdam as well at this conference. She's been around Bitcoin for a while too, if memory serves well. Indeed. Not a noob. It's just, it's nice to see uh, her starting a project. It's nice to see this P2P things not using some stupid token and hipsters just exchanging crap. What's the name of that app that like people used? I want to compare it to something so people know. There was an app that like, it was the crazy North America pre-COVID that like everybody was exchanging crap around. And you get some credits. They were not Bitcoin. Uh, but anyways. I don't know like, what you're talking about. But anyway, the cool part about so Peach is, you know, Peach is mobile first, very easy to use way to get no KYC Bitcoin or to sell your Bitcoin without KYC peer-to-peer. But it, what's interesting to me is the Peach team and the RoboSats team basically kind of realized it at the same time. Maybe Hoddle Hoddle kind of realized it first that maybe you don't need to be as censorship resistant as something like BISC, where you have that trade-off of convenience and you can have some elements of centralization, you're just not taking custody of funds. So they're both centralized, but they're not taking custody. And basically now it's a test. Um, is that enough for regulators or not? And if it if it is enough, then we can continue using that. And if it isn't enough, then you have to go to a more censorship resistant model like BISC. I think they will have a very hard time trying to make apps like this fit in the box of regulated stuff because then they're going to have to make Craigslist or Facebook be a money, a KYC because you want to sell a toaster, right? I actually sold a a coffee machine today. A guy showed up, gave me the money for the coffee machine. And, you know, and it was my wife who had posted, right, in one of these whatever places. And uh, I'm not going to dox. Anyways, I don't want to get into details. But 
you know, like it's just the guy gave me some cash and then, you know, I wish it was Bitcoin, but in a way kind of better that's not because some dude showing up at my door. <laughs> but, uh, it, it, you know, I think people greatly like underappreciate the size of the informal economy of like sort of like used trades. It's a monumentally large market. And uh, it, it's just nice to see apps that focus on the Bitcoin stuff. Can you list uh, sort of like, do they do the, the gift card thing like like BISC does? Do they do the other things like that? You choose your yeah, your preferred payment methods. There's multiple preferred payment methods. At like an event like Bitcoin Amsterdam, they actually enable cash if you're in Amsterdam for the event. And then it auto the app automatically basically matches you with a, a proper buyer. Very cool. Yeah, and it's all mobile focused. It's super clean. Very, very cool. All right. Celsius discloses the name transactions. I think the community sort of like beat this one to death. I mean, it's it, You is can it literally search anybody's name that used Celsius and get their... Doesn't mean you should. Fair enough. Kind of uh, rubbernecking uh, the uh, accident on the highway. Yes. Good point. Because listen, anyone and everything is searchable if you look hard enough, honestly. I mean, this is the this is the issue, though, right? The issue is that when you have KYC information, like it's not going to get KYC is the crime. But this wasn't even a fucking hack. Like the bankruptcy judge had them file this publicly. This is the standard for bankruptcy court in the U.S. As far as I understand, they are not sealed, right? Like they want to include in the in the filings every single creditor, which kind of makes sense. The problem is we live in a new world where people can like, you know, show up at your house and kill you. So, you know, it's not quite like rebalanced on how courts work with based on internet and reality. Like we have a legal system that's a little uncapped of times. And that's true for many things. I mean, like the fact that like, you know, license plates for cars work the way that they do or that the, the names and addresses of like, you know, company directors or, or executives is right on filings. It's insanity, right? That like you have your personal information like that in a world where people can like snap their fingers and get it. Who knows? Maybe things will change in the coming years because you get enough backlash, right? The politicians might sort of have to to change some of the rules. I, I think you've got to get Bitcoiners elected who are like, hey, we're going to do things with digital signatures and it's going to be private by default and things like that. But until then, it's like a mess. Or just buy all the politicians. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Of course. I think what's going to happen is Bitcoiners are just going to own all the politicians because he, productive people don't want to be politicians. It's it's a full-time job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, minding everybody else's business. Essentially, that's the job, right? Like, well, that and, and you have people coming to you with their problems and you uh, you need to fix all their problems. It's, it's like... Oh, my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's like winning the lottery, right? You've got people asking you for money all day long. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Yeah. Anyways, so, you know, like, I might as well sort of like, at least like mention it, like, you know, don't, don't store information that you don't need to legally. Don't don't keep it, right? Like, you know, like when you look at all the hacks and all the Bitcoin companies, it's always like the stupid marketing database. It's never the actual financial tool because those actually have a higher bar security. But in this case, it was a financial tool. I know, I know, yeah. I know. Don't lend out your Bitcoin. Well, there's that too. Lots of lessons here. 
But like Celsius was an obvious like Ponzi scam. Anybody offering you anything that is like, say, it, it was actually five, no, six or seven times the interest rate returns. It, it's but like. I, so this made me like question my. Are, we're in a, such a bubble. Like I, I didn't, I didn't even know Celsius really existed until it started like falling apart and like people are freaking out about it on Twitter. But a lot of people used it. Like a lot of people that I would have thought would never have used it, used it. That was the first uh, peak. By the way, we did not reach bubble levels by the rainbow chart. Uh, so you cannot call it a bubble. Uh, and we had double peaks, which also does not count. I, I think he's saying that we live in an echo chamber. Uh, That's right. That, yeah. But I did not notice the peak either. Like I, I really didn't. I was sort of like totally going with my own life, you know, doing the things I do. And, and I did not notice that we were at the peak because it was not stupid enough. Clearly, we are in a bubble because it was stupid enough outside of our bubble. I mean, I think we're still in a bubble with, you know, you were talking about earlier about the wrapped Bitcoin on these other chains. Mm -hmm. Like, I see that as equivalent from an economic perspective to Celsius. Um, and it's, you know, there's a lot that should unravel, but I, I think that we'll probably end up going into a bull market before a lot of the other nonsense unravels anyway. You know, I'm of the opinion that you know, unfortunately, the shitcoin market hasn't even started because like the the best scammers out there haven't even heard about how they can create a scam on DeFi. Right. So th this stuff like, man, th this scam town is still going to be like, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like because a thousand X, a million X what we have now. When we hear talk, people talking about like regulatory clarity in the SEC, basically they're saying like we need to legalize shitcoins. They need to be like fully yes. legalized. And um, when that happens, they say, oh, there's going to be massive growth in the crypto industry. And what they mean is that like you're going to have Apple coin, you're going to have Google coin, you're going to have Amazon coin, right? And you're going to have moon shitcoin dot cash. Yeah. <laughs> That one, but that's a legitimate investment. I don't know why you brought that up. I was talking about shit coins. Um, so it's only, yeah, I, I agree. I think that they're going to, uh, they're going to legalize shit coining uh, because right now it's, it's, it's not fully legal, right? Like it's an unregistered right. security. It's kind of in a gray area at best, you know, depend who you ask. But once it's fully legalized, uh, then yeah, I think that you're going to have the big boys come in with all their marketing and they're going to be doing lots of pump and dumps. And, um, you know, we're going to be over here Bitcoining, but uh, people will have to learn the hard way and, and, and come join us later. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, people want to believe, right? They, they want to believe they can make those 20% returns by doing nothing, right? And, and you, can't, you can't remove that from them. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there is no pounding in the head, nothing. Like, and they're going to do it again and again and again and again. You know, like the professionals are trading six. They were at the peak of the, the S&P. They were trading 62 times revenue. Okay. <laughs> like, and I, I see like two categories, either the people who, who do learn after getting wrecked and who, you know, go down the right path of Bitcoin. And then the others who, as you say, rep are the repeat offenders. 
And those people, the only way they learn is just by, or, or the only way they stop having an effect on the market is by not having any capital left. Um, and <laughs> then there's like the third category of the people who are actually profiting off of all of this. And they are accumulating capital off of this. And well, so and there's a lot of smart people, man. Some of these guys are like absolutely brilliant. The 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 only thing that stops them is running out of users, right? Of either <laughs> the people have run out of capital and the money has all shit and changed hands, or everyone else has run away uh, and gone to Bitcoin, and that's you know the the the, the pyramid is over. But I think the uh, the pyramid is only uh, sadly uh, beginning, and uh, I I'm almost at the stage of like. Uh, we just have to ignore it and pretend it's not happening. And as you said, like being our own echo chamber, like it's okay if Celsius becomes huge and like hundreds of thousands of people get wrecked. We were telling them not to do that. And we just, it's okay. I, I feel like Mr. Hodo on, t on Twitter, I'm not going to dox his main stuff. Like it, it's kind of like that uh, spinning thing that they had on Interstellar. You know, he's been right since as far as I know him, Right. It, both attitude and about shit coins, about all everything, right? So, like, you know, he's like, listen, why are you trying to, why are you spending your energy trying to convince these people? Like, you're not going to convince a person that wants 20x, you, you know, like, whatever. Like, just, just embrace, let it fold, flow through you, right? Like, it is what it is. But see, this is where, uh, I, I reject his nihilism because I think there's a spectrum. And so at the margin, there are people who uh, will listen to reason um, either because they've gotten wrecked or because, uh, you know, they're smart enough to kind of learn the easy way of actually listening to Bitcoin maxis. And I know that because I ran this Twitter poll once of, <laughs> hey, Bitcoin maximalists, how many of you used to be shitcoiners? And it was like 80% of them used to be shitcoiners, right? So like, obviously there is a path, but I also agree with Mr. Hoddle that like big picture, there's going to be uh you know irredeemable folks who just cannot learn i like i specifically had multi i had i had multiple people reach out saying that they got out of celsius because i wouldn't shut the fuck up and it used to be called a ponzi even on like clubhouse like clubhouse was interesting this last peak cycle because like it was like you know essentially capitalized normies right so it was a very like different kind of demographic it was like say like 30 to 40 with money to spend on investments. Nothing like crazy, but like, which is not the norm on Twitter. And like you could hear like people selling Celsius and then, and then you could hear people saying Celsius is a scam. And it was fascinating to watch. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people there did get saved by people saying it was, it was Ponzi, but. All I can say is a lot of people lucked out that SPF decided to save BlockFi because right. it would have been a lot worse. I think the, the question that people should ought to ask themselves is, where does the yield comes from? It should be a T-shirt, should be a sticker. Where does the yield come from? I, I think it's too bad that SBF bailed out BlockFi. I, I think that it would have been better for him not to. Now, because he's a crypto bro, like it would have been worse for him, right? Because he needs to keep the dream alive. He was exposed. If for for in terms of like the truth and you know long term benefit of the users uh it would have been good for them to get wrecked and to to you know have a wake-up call but i it, it, fundamentally like people are like oh look borrowing and lending bitcoin it's the free market right okay yeah sure 
The problem is that in order for you to actually be competent at borrowing and lending Bitcoin, and same thing with market making or trading, like you have to be a professional and like only like, you know, the top, you know, 1% or whatever are good enough to actually measure credit risk and things like that. And then it's such a new market. I don't think those people even exist. And so like there, there's just no history of credit in Bitcoin to base your models on. And the transparency is non-existent. It's fully opaque. And on top of that, somebody like BlockFi, when you lend your coins to them, maybe you did your due diligence and they, everything was great. And then a month later, they change their terms of service. They go and make a stupid loan to you know Three Arrows Capital, and you don't know about it because you already did your due diligence a month ago and you already lent your Bitcoin, and then they blow up. So it's like, not only do you have to do your due diligence once, you have to do it every day. Every day that you're lending to them, you have to do the due diligence over again. It's, it's just, it, it's not scalable. It's a hot, horrible product experience. And I like compared to just putting your Bitcoin on in cold storage and just, you know, living your life uh, and not being a 24 seven credit analyst. Uh, it's just incomparable. And BlockFi was the pros, you know, they were, they, they're all from Wall Street. They're pro, but on the old paradigms, like this is like Bitcoin's kind of a new paradigm in terms of like, is there yield? Is there lending? I let them a few years before and I'm like, I asked them like, where does the yield come from? They just sort of look at me like, we just manage our treasuries well. Like, you know, like, yeah, okay, great. So you're producing Bitcoin out of thin air. And all like, it's it's such a, it's idiotic. But, you know, it is what it is. All right. I'll be the Bitcoin Lightning app for your browser. Uh, so this app, it's an extension on your browser that lets you find out if there's websites that support Lightning in some sense for payments, for subscriptions, for whatever. The issue is uh, extensions can see everything you do on the web. And this is a Bitcoin extension, essentially. So it, it, it's like, I don't know how I feel about it. Uh, I love the idea. I just don't like the idea of extensions being able to see everything. I thought it was interesting. Like, I like the idea, obviously, restricted in terms of how much money you put at risk on this thing. But it does give a great experience like if you want to just tip people online if they even got as an example let's say you have albi with some sats in there you can connect it to your own node if you choose and you can it can read if somebody has the lightning emoji and the lightning address so it just kind of it's like a nice way to go around so as an example if brave the browser has a shitcoin in it you don't have to use that or in the same way that we might copy paste each other like a lightning invoice inside signal you don't have to use the signal shitcoin you can use bitcoin so it's kind of it's interesting in that way that it might reduce the friction, but yes, definitely there are you know security aspects that have to be grappled with. All right. I mean that's unsolvable because the no, it is solvable. No, no, no. I no, it is totally solvable. But they need to scan the web page to see if there's places where you can pay. No, what we need is browsers, vendors to support the URIs correctly. If they were supporting the URIs correctly, the browser doesn't have to expose the whole page to the extension. It could just show the URI that is present on that page. This is really just a poor implementation all around browsers. Uh, it's totally doable in a reasonable, non-crazy way. It's going to get there. It's not their fault, though. It's not Albi's fault. It's, it's 
Chrome's fault. It's Safari's fault. What do you think about the idea of like the impervious team to like ship a full browser? I think it's idiotic. Love them. I love people trying it, but like a modern browser is like millions and millions and millions and millions of lines of code. Uh, it's a monumentally large project that needs to be done by a monumentally well-capitalized entity. And it needs a proper sort of like way of looking at how to raise that capital. Um, the, the challenge is like what they're going to end up doing, I don't know about them, just sort of thinking here, is like they're going to probably use like, you know, either Chromium or... They're building on top of Firefox. Yeah, which is not... Like Brave, Brave used Chromium. Chromium, right? Like it's essentially like... Didn't Google sort of like, didn't Firefox replace their core stuff with Google stuff? I think they did. Like Firefox as it was doesn't exist anymore, I I think. I I can't remember. I don't follow browsers anymore. What it basically is, is it's like one of these off-the-shelf browsers, but there's a default web app running. Like that's what you see when you load up Impervious Browser. That's It shows you a default web app instead of the you know, the, the, the welcome screen you see. But then they can also run like a daemon in the background, which is how they do their... uh, decentralized identity stuff. So that's the one benefit they have of, of, uh, and I, I think they can have like a, they could have a lightning node running in the browser too, like in the background. I don't know if they actually do that yet, but so it's just, they have the ability to run a daemon, but yeah, the browser itself, they, they can't really modify too much. Okay. So I digress. It's not idiotic. I think it's like, uh, it's a very, very difficult thing to achieve in the, in the actual end goal if you're not like some massive entity, just because it's so much cold to write. And web technologies are like Swiss cheese, right? Like it's just it's holes everywhere. It's very difficult to secure. You know, even Google being Google, there is like zero day exploits. There's one interesting thing that's kind of a little bit of a side thing. But there's a, there's a, there's a, a really interesting open source project called Serenity OS, which one guy uh, just started writing for fun about four years ago. And now it's like a full operating system. And he wrote the entire thing for himself, including an entire browser implementation. So he re-implemented JavaScript, HTML, CSS, absolutely everything from scratch. And now they just he just implemented, he just released this as like a, a kind of Electron app type thing. So it is interesting that you can build a browser, like basically a few people built that browser and it's not really up to snuff yet, but it's, it's kind of an interest. It's an inspiring story of what a few motivated people can do in open source. You know, like they did build a... It's like Temple OS. Yeah, yeah, it's like Temple OS, but it's actually kind of getting there. It's a, it's a cool one. But they built a whole browser. But isn't there like actually a massive, like, isn't there still like a big security risk? Like, I mean, there's like massive. There's like, well, especially when money's involved. Vulnerabilities put out in Chrome and Firefox all the time, right? Yeah. How would they keep this thing secure? You know? It, it's brutal, guys. Like, the, 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 the browser game is absolutely, remember, the browser was not designed to any of the stuff that it does in modern days. <laughs> well, you hear about remote remote code execution, right? That's a, the worst thing that can happen in software, right? That's kind of what a browser is. <laughs> That's literally what a browser is. <laughs> yes. It's like an environment for remote code execution. It downloads code over the internet and executes it. So it's really insane the job that a browser attempts to perform. And, you know, you have two, you could have two web apps with two, 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 two tabs. One is for one bank and one is for other, and they can't steal from each other. It's kind of an insane thing that, they accomplished that it, you know that works at all. Yeah, it, it's uh, and sometimes they do steal from each other, uh, <laughs> and that's the problem with browsers. Yep. <laughs> all right. So the the tornado cash guy, he's appeal. Essentially, they're selling all his crap now. The guy's screwed. 
I doubt that uh, that this guy is going to get off. Because again, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that the legal system, uh, agree or don't agree, is very well designed, uh, especially after Al Capone and crew, uh, to to go after all your crap. Uh, <laughs> you know, if they don't like you, <laughs> you know, so like. If you were running a project like that and you somehow took any financial gains from from the project, they will try to go after that and they will use that to go after all your stuff. It's it's unfortunate. You know, privacy projects that have very large uh, install base like they were doing, they will suffer the state's ire. Regardless if it's correct or incorrect or even if the state is correct legally, they will find a way. <laughs> uh, so... The best we can all do is have decentralized projects that don't have coordinators because that is a massive, massive hole. I think Matt doesn't have anything to say about privacy. But in this case, in this case, uh, I just want to be clear. I mean, there was no centralized coordinator on Tornado Cash. Like, yeah, but he might have been taking uh, he the was. fees. They had a shitcoin attached to it. Well, there you go. Uh, like you're profiting from crime. That's the way they define but it. I think it's more of a lesson in 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 developer opsec, right? Where I, that- I don't think you can keep your opsec perfect, uh, like to this extent. I think that the key here is not to take profit from the essential mixing. I think yeah, that, but, that is the uh, safe. Hold on. I, I just think that the the problem with with this logic is that it could be interpreted to be like, oh, if you are holding Bitcoin, by extension, you are profiting from people money laundering because that is increasing the value of your Bitcoin. Yeah. And therefore, what's to stop I, them? You no, say no, you're not the Supreme Court. You're, you don't no, get no, to sure. decide. Like, I am not like, I, I, Pierre, I don't I don't disagree with you in logic, yeah. but I just don't think they would move it to that extent just because it becomes too broad. I think that it is entirely at their discretion. Uh, so, it, you know, if the wrong treasury secretary is in office, if the wrong president's in office, if somebody does the wrong thing with Bitcoin and, you know, the fiat bros get triggered and they want to do as big of a crackdown as they can. Now, granted, I think that at this point, the it, it would be so politically unpopular that, yeah, I, I think that See, it, this it's is how you table, win, right? But, you yeah. win by by having them having the same bags as you do. That's but one you, thing. You also win by fighting uh, for every little inch, right? And so I think that- I don't disagree. I, while I have zero interest in Ethereum or Tornado Cash, I think it's fantastic that they are fighting this in, in court and they're fighting for every inch here because that puts that much more distance between- uh, the fiat bros and our lovely orange coin. So I think it's it's great. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I'll leave it there. Yeah, I think the problem is like we agree on everything here. What I'm trying to say is, when you have a very direct and obvious sort of thing, like you know, at least in their view, in their very, you know, ignorant view of software, you are running the thing that does directly sort of like make this, you know, like illegal activity happen and you're directly taking profit from that where they can go and say like, look, from but this wallet you've to just this described, wallet. You've just described Bitcoin mining as well, arguably, right? That, 
hey, the transaction fees from this mixing service are being paid to this miner that's including the trans, right? Like, I agree with you. That's the logic they're using. They're yeah. trying to use this logic. I'll put it that way because I, this is what I'm saying. It's like I am not defending the logic. I'm just saying that that's the logic. That I they think use. it should be fought. No, it's the that's the logic they're trying to use here. Yeah, and this guy is not in U.S. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's worse in Europe. Like it's worse in Europe than in the U.S. For sure. Exactly. So, like, listen. It, it's it, it, what I'm trying to say is. You know, this is the world we have. We should fight it, but this is the world we have. So, like, this guy is in a jurisdiction that that he did, as they are describing, cross the line, and they're trying to go after that. They're clearly succeeding. I hope I hope that people fighting it win. But, like, realistically speaking, he should have six some, like, you know, legal advice before he chose the design. To be clear, the, the the real fight that's happening is like Coin Center is suing the U.S. Treasury, like they're suing Janet Yellen specifically, um, because the OFAC, OFAC, an American organization, put them on the sanction list, and that's why the Netherlands arrested them. So, like the the court case over in the Netherlands is like him just arguing over with right. like the we had the puppets rather than fighting right. the puppet master, and that's why Coin Center is fighting it in the U.S. It's a it's a very uncomfortable thing to have your country sort of like dictating how I am in a different country, what I can and can't do. It's kind of funny because like in Canada, you can ship to Cuba, you know, products and stuff like, in, you know, we, we can have Cuban products, right? Are you shipping to Cuba? Yeah, we can ship to Cuba. But people are buying it from Cuba or is that not allowed to, not, no, no comment? I'm not going to discuss customer okay. right. uh, purchases, Fair. but look it up in your database. Look up uh, in your marketing. No, but we database. have to take we have to take it super seriously, right? Because if we have products going to places that have sanction lists, right? Like you could really like be in trouble, uh, and and our goal is not to be in trouble. You know what I mean? I don't want to be a martyr. I, I want somebody else to be a martyr. Tornado cash. Yeah, got it. Thank you, shitcoiner. Uh, shitcoiners are moat. Yeah, and you know they're they're a distraction for like individuals, but it's great that they're also a distraction for governments. And I, I think that we we have to give them credit mm. for that. It's more than that; they're also very flaunty. So they're also a distraction for bad guys. Bad guys tend to go after shitcoiners more than go after bitcoiners. It seems. So thank you, shitcoiner. From what I've heard, I don't think anything bad has happened to Richard Hart. So that's the canary in the coal mine. Maybe he doesn't have anything. You know, when people <laughs> well, flaunt at that level, they're probably broke. Yeah, and nobody wants to steal his his horrible luxury goods either. I don't know, man. I, I, he he definitely has the the gangster look, sort of like vibe uh, going with the outfit. But God knows. I mean, maybe gangsters have moved on from Louis Vuitton. All right, from one gangster to another, Grayscale unveils uh, Bitcoin Mining Center investment entity. And if well, you're the mining expert there, Pierre. Uh, the the more the merrier, you know. Uh, anybody can contribute hash. Yeah. Wonderful. European Union announces new sanctions against Russia. Oh, I'm surprised. And uh, I support the current thing and the existing prohibitions on crypto assets have been. Tightened by banning all crypto wallets, uh, accounts, and custody services 
irrespective of amount of the wallet previously 10,000 euros. This is so fucking idiotic. That's why like the young people love the yields. It's like, you know, state actors trying to come up with rules about how you're not or supposed to, like if you're supposed to gamble, transfer or whatever. And then these kids find all this crypto shit uh, and they just do whatever they want. Like, look, I'm gambling, right? Like, like come after me if you want to. Uh, I think state actors are going to start behaving like the same. It's uh, it's going to be very interesting if we see the the pariah states, as they call them, uh, having serious holds of of uh, of Bitcoin and other and other shitcoins. Yeah, so presumably this will be for the custodial exchanges. Maybe they'll have to be they'll be required to do some chain surveillance and IP geo blocking and things like that. They really have to do that. Yeah, but I mean, in this case. Uh, to block Russia, right? To sending anything to a Russian, you know, whatever, to a person presumed to be in Russia or things like this. So what they're really doing is uh, North Korea, then comma, Iran, they just added another comma, now Russia. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. really, it's no. I'm guessing, yeah. And, you know, w- w- what Kraken was doing is that they were still serving clients in Russia, but they were taking all the trading fees and donating it to Ukrainians. And now instead, what's going to happen is that Russia, somebody in Russia, you know, is going to benefit from the fact that now they have fewer competitors and they'll grow a Russian Bitcoin exchange and uh, the trading fees will not go to Ukrainians. There you go. Well, it's the same with, you know, like the, the, the Ukrainian bullshit against Elon because he decided to have a plan piece. You may not agree with it. That's whatever, right? I mean, like people have different sort of like views on this but you know the guy is literally donating all this fucking gear and the service to you so like be grateful and he's like i'm pretty sure that this newfound issue with the with the service cost uh is pretty much a you know what go fuck yourselves kind of thing uh so yeah fuck war can we please find peace if you want to end inflation find peace do you think? Do you think they go far? Do any of you guys think they go farther than just um, enforcing it on the like the regulated services level? Like, do they look at? Do, will they use chain surveillance to be like, you know, NVK withdrew from Swan and then sent to his? Oh, probably Russian. Oh support. yeah, no, that's part of KYC, Matt. So the anti-money laundry and the KYC regulation for like proper sort of exchanges and things require you to essentially know what your customer is going to do with the money. You're kind of on the hook. But so that's that's the concern. I mean, the concern is that obviously they can't ban Russian wallets on the protocol level. But the concern is that it's, it's going to be selectively enforced. Yeah. But it's going to be, it will probably be enforced uh, by putting a gun to someone's head who got caught sending to a Russian identified wallet. Yeah. But that's how the whole Rico stuff started in the U.S. with Al Capone, right? I mean, it's like, oh, you're remotely related to him. You guys talk to each other on a bar. We think you're benefiting from crime. Boom, nabbed. So, like, you know, this is all about selective enforcement because it's impossible to have arbitrary rules and do broad enforcement, right? So they just really want to go after the people they don't like or do parallel reconstruction or, or like, uh, a post Say you do something later in life, you know, within the the, the limitation period, <laughs> and they go, "Oh, you sent a donation to Russia of one dollar five years ago, whatever the limitation period is," and they will try to nab you for that. 
it's uh yeah i mean kyc and mao laws are the crime bitnob launches in kenya wasn't this bitnob thing sort of like some major shit show just recently no oh what happened with them i don't know what you mean there wasn't like that website sold to some other website or something no that that's bitbo which is oh. the price tracker with the oh, okay news i got feed. confused this is bitnob which is a nigerian exchange they also launched in ghana kenya um it's run by bernard para uh he's fucking awesome and this kenya thing is interesting because he also integrated with m-pesa which is the existing cell phone payment network in kenya nice in other countries but it's only integrated in kenya so you can presumably send a lightning payment directly to someone's well, not directly but you can send a lightning payment that gets settled into someone's m-pesa account that they're already used to just making remittances that much easier Nice. So so essentially this is connecting the existing phone and pesa style services there to Bitcoin. Yeah, and all the other Kenyans as well. But like there's I, I don't know. Brilliant. It's like 50, 60 million people are using M-Pesa in, in Kenya. So. Everybody does. So they like sign up for Bitnob and then they just like attach their M-Pesa account to it and then they have a lightning address which is a relative standard now, like a lot of services support that. And you can just send to the Lightning address and it goes straight. It just converts to their local currency and drops into their M-Pesa account. And then they can do vice versa. They can send out from M-Pesa to Lightning. Very nice. I don't remember when the last time we recorded Bitcoin Review was, but was that, was that before the Swan acquisition of Spectre? It may have been, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think I, guess, I think we I, might yeah. have mentioned it. Yeah, I can't I can't remember because the web, the website is broken. Yeah, well, I guess I can I can obviously I'm I'm working at Swan, so let me throw a few comments in. So the idea is it's you know think of it like a vertical integration. Corey and the guys are very clear that Spectre will remain a FOSS free open source project, but the idea is that as a vertical integration, it can enable people who are coming on board with Swan that you might be stacking some Sats with Swan and then later. Okay, now it's time to upgrade. It's time to do this and that. Go to single sig or potentially to multi sig. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where that's the direction um, that the team is uh, looking to go with the, with the project. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very challenging for for wallets to um, to monetize. Like all wallets will have that problem. Software wallets. It is, uh, I, I, you know, unless they're selling shit coins, which is what most of the software wallets that are well monetized do. So I, I do, I do feel like this might be the direction that a lot of the the wallets will go as they'll get acquired by companies that already have a path to monetization. If that is a shitcoin casino, if that is, you know, something else. I mean, we hope to help some of them monetize with selling the cards and maybe giving a cut of the cards to them. But, you know, there is only so much. And another problem, too, is like, say you launch a wonderful uh, uh, app wallet, right, that, that charges, I don't know, like five bucks for you to download. You know, it's going to be open source. So somebody's just going to copy it or somebody's going to launch a you know, very new, great code base for free because it's their pet project. And then nobody's going to pay for your wallet. So it, it's a very tricky sort of space. It's always been. So I don't know. It's just nice to see companies that don't sell don't sell shitcoins acquiring bitcoin open source projects and sort of like you know bootstrapping that when's coinkite going to acquire bitcoin core 
we're actually in talks right now. Before this call, I had a, a 101 uh, a meeting with the Bitcoin CEO, and we're working on it. It's hard. I mean, on the plus side, I mean, it's like it's false, so it's not going to cost too much, right? It's going to come with a little bit of craft. And uh, I think one of the biggest sticking points is the fact that we want to uh, name uh, blacklists back to blacklists. Uh, so yeah. uh, that's yeah. going to be a sticky point. But uh, again, negotiations. Where's going to be the point where we can put in our pronouns into um, our hardware? Yeah, we're, we're going to, uh, all the hardware is going to be uh, the day pronoun going forward, uh, just for sake of uh, clarity and, uh, and a single kind of uh, variable there. That's great. So anyways, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, blocks decentralized exchange protocol team TBD partners the circle. Okay, great. Uh, you guys have any comments about TBD because it's TBD? I don't understand what it even is. Okay. Uh, same here. Uh, it's the same with uh, that other thing that uh, uh, Carvalho is working on, the synergy. Synonym. Synonym. The Bolt thing. Yeah. I also have no idea. Uh, Big O unveils Custodial Lightning. That's That's great, actually, because... Uh, they have huge penetration into the corporate world of custody and things, and they understand very well insurance and all that crap. So for any sort of like large entity that's probably already on BitGo doing Bitcoin now, they probably offer Lightning. Sure, it's shit KYC Lightning, but still, like, it's kind of amazing deployment. It's like huge install base, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Another related one was that it's not in the notes, but River... River just announced uh, uh, an API, like a custodial lightning API, which is, you know, there's happened before, but I, I bet they did a really good job on it because they, they tend to execute well when they do something. Uh, and it looks like they've, from their little landing page, rls.dev, they've partnered with Chivo, which is kind of cool because Chivo, you know, is like this nice idea to have like a, an, a wallet that a bunch of people would use, but it wasn't implemented terribly well. So it's it's nice to see, and it's always a question like who who is behind it, right? So it's it's nice to see that they're partnering with some real Bitcoin companies. So I think it might be like the third or fourth entity trying to make Chivo work now. Yeah. So actually, the one of the panels that I moderated uh, just yesterday was Bitcoin and Sovereigns, and one of the guys on it was one of the directors from Alpha Point, who is one of the companies working on Chivo. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Uh, hopefully, people in uh, El Salvador will move to something else that's not Chivo soon. I hope that nobody in El Salvador uses Chivo. You know, they can take their free money from the the distribution through Chivo and then move it to their own wallets. Uh, and then we're all winning. But it, it's nice to see. I like the, the idea of uh, every... every government having its own wallet and right. uh, they're they're competing against each other trying to get wallet users but um, as long as it's interoperable right so as long as you can send the bitcoin out to your own wallet and use using on chain or lightning i think that's the issue right you know as you were saying like it's so hard to monetize wallets maybe they just have to be subsidized by taxes <laughs> there you go <laughs> let's make it rain uh, what we need is uh, tax grants. Instead of going to artists making murals about things that nobody cares, they could go to devs making wallets that everybody needs. So, yeah. So, actually, uh, 
um, there is legislation that it has been proposed about um, getting more science grants towards, uh, you know, uh, digital currencies uh, to in- improve inclusion. Uh, so I think that just making wallets easier to use, uh, you know, will help bring in more uh, marginalized peoples of wherever, and that way, uh, there's there's a it's it's certainly better than them working on a CBDC, right? A hundred percent. Anything is better than CBDCs, unless they have a very good exchange to convert CBDC to Bitcoin. That I am all for CBDC. But why not just get rid of the conversion? Like, uh, I, well, Chivo has dollars as well in it, right? And like, well, you can't get rid of the conversion, Pierre. The money printer needs to go from money printer to Bitcoin. <sighs> all right. You know how this works. I won't get into it. We'll, we'll take up the rest of the podcast arguing about this, but yeah, okay. No, I, I agree with you, but they're not going to let go of the printer. El Salvador doesn't have a printer, but yeah. Yeah, I know. that's They're one of the only countries that doesn't. All right. So uh, Bitcoin mining hosting, hosting company, Compute North Files. For, uh, we've already, uh, that's also... Uh, this is one of the problems of having a show that only comes, you know, like every three, two, three, two to four weeks is that like some of the news starts getting old. The Compute North uh, Chapter 11. In case this podcast is the only one you listen to, uh, this, uh, this, this Compute North company had a, a real sort of Nortel vibe to it. A lot of empty data centers with, with skids and nothing installed. It's, you know, it's a shame to see companies going uh, belly up, but uh, it does happen. Not the last. <laughs> Definitely not the last. The bear market is only starting. And I, I have, uh, I, I see, you know, others hitting all-time lows in their stock price. But uh, yeah, it's a tough, tough market out there for the hash price. You know, uh, if Jim Cramer is starting to get very concerned, I think, uh, I think we might have... Uh, we might have passed the worst part of it. I, you know, I thought his tweet was so funny about how he works twenty hours a day, and it's the <laughs> the haters that motivate him. And I'm like, this is just such a huge cell phone. You're in your sixties, and you, you still working? haven't you 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 haven't even you know retired a little bit, right? You haven't even gone yeah. like part time, and you're trapped by your haters. Like you're like in this jail of your own making. This is a horrible admission, but. Uh, poor, poor Jim. It is amazing how people like that still exist in the public world. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it, that to me is like the the weirdest part of all this is like, how does a person like that has a platform and he gets paid to show up and stuff? It's all momentum. It's weird. Proof of stake. All right. So I'm going to only glance over the Bitcoin Optech newsletter because there's a lot here. They've been doing their own Twitter spaces, which are great. Why don't you just t- take the recording from their Twitter space, splice it in here? That's a great idea. This could be the only podcast. Th- this is the only Bitcoin co- podcast that you that you have. <laughs> just to take all, aggregate. You could take all the all the p- Bitcoin podcasts and attach them into this podcast, there and then that it's way a this twenty could hour be show. The only podcast somebody listens to. I, I like this because you know we do the introductory three hours, four hours, and then we just have all the other pods for another eight to like ten hours. Uh, and we do it in like two X only, right? We we take out the ads, we take out the host commentaries, and we only put the content at two X. I, I think you're onto something here. It could be one podcast to rule them all. <laughs> 
So uh, I'm going to skip the LN stuff. Okay, so Bitcoin implementation designed for testing soft forks on Signet. That's amazing. If you don't know what Signet is, go check it out. They have some good explanations of it. It's just another testnet setup that's much better. What else? Uh, propose new transaction relay policies designed for uh, more lightning. It's all lightning. I'm skipping the Optac competitions. So Bitcoin design community uh, designaton. Designathon. <laughs> Imagine a traditional hackathon, but focus on design. That's great. Uh, but somebody has to implement that. And I always urge people who do design to remember that once the design is done, it doesn't mean it gets implemented. You still need to get buy-in to get somebody to implement it. And that is true for concepts or actual UI design. Otherwise, it's just a pretty thing on a, on a book. They are doing something at uh, at uh, Bitcoin Builder Day at TabConf as well, which is kind of cool. Yeah, Builder Day it was it was cool. Uh, about you know a big big hall, about two hundred people, 10, 15 tables, different open source projects. Uh, Fediman had a table, LDK, I think uh, Taro had a table, uh, C Lightning, a whole bunch of them. Uh, you know, just all op- uh, onboarding new open source developers, right? So like Git clone the repo, set up the development developer environment, run the tests, like. Uh, it was nice to see all these people sort of a handful of commits were made for the first time. So that was really neat as opposed to hackathon where it, it kind of becomes like a fake startup competition. Everyone's trying to like make some fake startup. I hate it's, hackathons. It's cooler when it's like, okay, let's uh, actually try to do something productive here. Like onboard onto a, onto C lightning, you know? Very nice. Did you get the designers to actually try to change some stuff and make some commits? The designers were mostly working on, uh, with uh, pens and crayons. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Finger paints, various things like that. Yeah, if you're going to pixel push, you have to push the pixel and make a commit. What else? Uh, Legends of Lightning, online global tournament for uh, makers to learn, connect, collaborate, uh, lots of stuff. Well, it's happening right now. I think it's... So this is like an ongoing thing. I know John's Bihari um, was... Uh, wanting to go get on and uh, basically publicize about this a bit more. The idea is that there's like ongoing ways that people can be contributing. That's kind of my understanding of it so far. I know there's a bunch of lightning people who are involved. So Very cool. Yeah, if anyone else has anything. He basically had like the same concern uh, that Justin kind of just highlighted, which is like hackathons. People come up with, you know, like a quarter of a project and then it just like, like dies after the hackathon. And he's trying to incentivize more momentum and like longer term. You know, uh, uh, we've always uh, said this internally here that uh, hackathons is kind of like you you can ne- you cannot make a product or a service uh, in that span of time, uh, uh, especially like conceptually and implementation wise. Like, I think it's a lot of fun for people to find people they want to work with. I think it's fun for people to find ideas. But uh, I think people shouldn't take hackathons seriously. I think they should just sort of like use it as a as a fun thing to do. Come up with something silly to do, accomplish it, and then, oh, shit, I have a bunch of people I like to work with. Maybe we should come up with a world-changing idea and take two years to build it. So, yeah. Uh, very cool. Events. Um, Adopting Bitcoin is November 15 to 17 in El Salvador, Africa Bitcoin Conference, December 5 to 7th. Uh, that one is very cool to see. Uh, I think it's like the first super, like proper big Bitcoin conference in Africa. 
Unconfiscatable, December 6th to 7th. I don't know if they're going to be doing Vegas or not, but it was actually fun last year. Anyways, do you guys have any other news thing or something we missed in this? Because uh, it's only been two hours and 10 minutes, which is a very short uh, Bitcoin dot review. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to have to have clips of Marty uh, uh, reading the release notes. Yeah, oh, I guess we might as well just mention there's a couple other events. There's Plan B Lugano. Um, that's a Plan B forum. That's on end of October. There's Pacific Bitcoin. That's on 10th and 11th November in in LA. Uh, oh, and there's Bitcoin for India. So that's going to be um, like another one in start of November. I think it's around 4th or 5th off the top of my head. So that'll be cool. They're trying to grow the India scene. So yeah. Thank you. Where those are those? They definitely thought inviting MVK to speak would mean he would mention in the event section and he still left it out. <laughs> I, I, you know. you got to pay top dollar to get into that uh, event section. You know, I think that, you know, now that I have had Pierre here for a second time, you know, I can actually bring it up without being awkward. So, like, I really want that minor kind of revenue and uh, advertising dollars on the show. Uh, <laughs> we, we need a lead, an exclusive sponsor of this. You know, it's not just revenue, right? Like, miners have costs as well. Oh, you want to give me some costs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, if you can find a way of giving me on the books losses for me, that counts too, okay? I will buy loss at a discount to put on my balance sheet for my year end. I accept that too. I love accountants. Yep. All right. I'll send you some liabilities. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I will take it. Okay, guys. Uh, any last thoughts? Uh, Pierre, you go. Um, no, excited to see all the progress, in particular, the giant multi-sig. I mean, I think that even aside from just having a massive multi-sig, just getting more out of the same amount of block space. Um, I, I came out with a research report with Joe Burnett from Blockware about transaction fees. Uh, I think that the, the biggest myth in Bitcoin is this idea that there's a uh, tragedy of the commons with uh, block space and transaction fees. It's total and, bullshit. You know, uh, the kind of concern trolling about long-term security and all this. So go check out that research report. Go to riotblockchain.com, uh, news and press and research in the menu there. So yeah, excited about uh, big multi-sigs taking up very little space on chain. Uh, so thanks for having me on. Thank you. Uh, Justin, any final thoughts? Yeah, the uh, list the list went AWOL uh, before the show. I was going to put some Fediment news on there, but the list disappeared uh, from GitHub. I don't know where the list is currently. I don't know if it will return next time. But uh, yes, Fediment had a big month or two months since we last spoke. Uh, we got our first Signet deployed. We had a mainnet demo at HCP conference. And uh, our friend Paul Miller, future Paul, mentioned earlier in the show, helped build a basic mobile prototype. So like a private send and receive custodial lightning wallet, uh, which is really neat. And uh, yeah, there was also a really cool research project where uh, 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 some people, uh, Nick Farrow, uh, Lloyd Fournier, and others made a, a, a demonstration of a Taproot native wallet that would use Frost to coordinate the multisig. So the cool thing is the Federation would just have like a, uh, an address or a, you know, a, a footprint on chain that would look exactly the same as like any other Taproot wallet. Uh, so it's still kind of a research project, but uh, things are moving along. If you're a talented Rust developer, please head over to our Discord uh, chat, thatfedimint.org. Uh, maybe to, on to Stefan Levera. For... Yeah, no, it's, uh, we definitely did a rug bull there on the 
on the comments and how it's uh, how it's added and stuff. Uh, too bad I I wanted to have the stuff on the list. That's why I always ask the 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 wonderful guests to submit their updates in time. Right, Justin? You even got two free domains out of this call. Um, what a lucky! What a lucky! <laughs> what a lucky guy! Um, so Fedmint is hiring. If you are a Rust Fedmint dev, is an open source project. Uh, we, you can come contribute to it. Fedi, the company, uh, is, yeah. Is hiring, Fedi, so. Fedi is hiring. Uh, Fedi is paying. Fedi Mint is benefiting. Go work for Justin. He is. Uh, he's a. Uh, he's a good. A good employer. I assume. Yeah. No. It's. Uh, well. Thanks. Thanks for. Uh, for coming, Justin. Stefan. Um, yeah. So, I think. Um, you know, we're in a bear cycle. We are. I think one thing that I've been seeing is um, some good community growth. We're seeing like meetup scenes growing. We're seeing, especially in the non-English scene, like it's almost like in 2018, there was, that was almost a growth of the English Bitcoin only. And now this cycle, we're seeing some of the non-English Bitcoin only scenes growing around the world. So, you know, just keep up the momentum. Of course, it's a bear cycle, but it uh, doesn't mean we can't have fun along the way. Yeah. Hey, Matt, I've been learning a lot with you. Did you notice that this time I each I called each person and I asked them to give their final thoughts? This is why it's, it's beneficial to have an experienced co-host. I know. Uh, I love having you as a guest and I'm very appreciative of that. For people that don't know, uh, Matt has uh, recorded uh, the rabbit hole recap this morning. He's, I don't know, like it's a good 20 day streak of being hangover in conferences and parties. I, I, do, I, I honestly don't know how he does it, but he clearly does it. So Matt, any final thoughts? This was a fun conversation. It was a great crew. Uh, I enjoyed it. And uh, just a second Stefan's thoughts, like in Amsterdam, the Dutch Bitcoin community is strong as fuck. I had no idea. Uh, I was, I, I was blown away. It was, it was pretty cool meeting all of them. And uh yeah, I'm bullish. Let's go. You know, it's funny. The earliest, biggest Bitcoin conference that ever happened, it was big enough. It was actually Bitcoin Foundation Amsterdam in 2014, which was like ginormous. Uh, and, and it had like, it was proper production value. It was weird. It was like a, a, a Bitcoin conference of today in that time. And that was, I think, the last one of that size for a while too. The, the Dutch community is amazing. Was that the one where Vitalik announced his quantum mining scam? Uh, no, I, I might, that might have been earlier. Supposedly that was in Amsterdam. There was a lot of contention with Bitcoin Foundation at that time. And I think there was a competing conference at the same time as well. So I can't remember where there was. I, we did have a guy come into our booth drunk and, uh, and order a massive skid of CoinKite payment terminals to his hotel, which was a very complicated setup. But... It was uh, it was an interesting conference, nonetheless. Anyways, guys, I I, I really appreciate the fact that you guys all uh, came and and joined us for uh, what is it like almost uh, almost two hours and a half. It's a big list. So uh, and Justin is hiring. Thank you, and uh, you know everybody have a, a fantastic day. Thank you. See you next time. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening and going through another boring list of updates once again. Don't forget to get in touch on Twitter at Bitcoin Review HQ or the Telegram Bitcoin Review Pod or email Bitcoin Review at CoinKite.com. Remember, I don't have a crystal ball. So if you have a cool project you're working on, do make sure to get in touch with us. And if you're still not bored, you can follow me on Twitter at NVK. Mm-hmm.